Hey, this is Daniel. Thanks for listening to DIY Money. If you haven't already, be sure to give us a five-star review on iTunes so your friends know that they can learn from the show. Also, follow us everywhere on social at DIY Money Podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to check out the video on YouTube. We've got some awesome bonus content there. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another edition of DIY Money. DIY Money. 61 degrees today in the middle of February. I love it. Amazing. It's great. And then it's going to be like 20 tomorrow. Yes, and cold (laughs) and ice and nonsense. So let's hold on to today. So this is, you know, we're going through market volatility, and I'm going to throw this out to the DIY uh, tribe, or sorry, the DIY, whatever. What is our DIY listeners? There you go. Community. Community. Oh, I like that. The DIY community. We did a 52-minute, and I I always always say that because I want you to understand how in-depth it is, a 52-minute video that is on our advisory site, jewelfinancial.com, jewel, J-O-U-L-E, financial.com, talking about standard deviation. Now, standard deviation is a measurement of risk. And why why am I saying that? Well, in the standard deviation video, I gave the example of how crazy weather can be sometimes. Weather can be uh, you know, unnaturally high temperatures during, let's say, a, a winter time period or unnaturally low uh, in any season. You have outliers, and w- you have an average, definitely something you could kind of expect, but then you have these outliers. Well, we become accustomed to this as as human beings. We become accustomed to the fact that, yeah, on average, in the middle of February, in wherever you live, let's say Lexington, Kentucky, the average temperature might be 35 degrees. I'm just spitballing. But on occasion, you have uh, a move that might be 60 degrees. And wow, that's amazing. But we know it's not going to last. We know that it's going to quickly go from 60 degrees back down to 20 or 30. Well, the movement can be measured, and it can be measured by what's called standard deviation. And the number of standard deviations, one, two, or three standard deviations, can kind of share with you how abnormal the move is. Why do I say all this? I say all this because as a long-term investor, you have to know that you are going to go through abnormal times. Now, I just watched Charlie Munger talk for two hours yesterday, and he can easily say, look, we get accustomed to night and we get accustomed to day. Uh, You know, sometimes it's night, sometimes it's day. Sometimes we boom, sometimes we bust. We just need to get accustomed to that and just keep pushing forward. And he can say that at 98 and just kind of move on. But what I'm sharing with you is as you're getting into this investment world, you have to realize that there are crazy times that just look awful. And you look at it and you go, oh, my gosh, I don't know how we're going to get through this. We're on the brink of war. Uh, we've got huge inflation. We've got you know political divide. We've got all this nonsense going on. How in the world are stocks going to go up? And you might be right for a season. You might be right. Stocks could go down for a long period of time. But the reality is, is that... This, too, shall pass. It might take some time. And the long-term trajectory is what matters. And throughout every event in history, we have seen volatility that results eventually in higher stock prices. So that's one of the reasons we favor indices. We favor using an S&P 500 index over, let's say, 
picking individual stocks because you might get it wrong and that stock might not come back. But it's all about patience. It's all about education and understanding. So if you if you want to learn more about that, again, I just encourage you to check it out. I think it's worth, I think it's a value for anybody that's in the investment world. So there you go. That's great. That's my, that's my uh, bro talk today. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. That was excellent. All right, Glad we, I could help. We got a unique question. We've not had one of these questions before. Uh, I suspect we'll get more of these questions. This is from Josiah, I believe his name is. Josiah, what do you got? D-I-Y! Hi, Daniel and Quinn, and maybe Logan if you're doing this episode of the podcast. I'm a big fan. My name is Josiah Lofton, and I'm 20 years old, and I'm from Columbus, Ohio. I currently work at Chick-fil-A as a manager, making around 45000 a year, and sometimes I do grant openings for corporate, making some extra cash when I feel like flying out. As far as DIY money checklist goes, my fast cash is set, my emergency fund is set, and I have been maxing out my Roth IRA since I was 18, thanks to my brother getting me started right away. I have no debt, and my 2015 Toyota Corolla is completely paid off. I currently bank with Chase, and my savings is with Ally, and every check I do my ties and then save close to 50% of my check, which then goes to Ally and is spread out through my buckets, which are currently a house, car, wedding, engagement ring, and so on. I'll be starting my electrician apprenticeship in February, which leads me to my question. I plan on driving my car until it dies, which knowing Honda and Toyota will probably be in 10 years, if not longer. By then, I will be an electrician and will be making close to six figures at my company. I would like to have a truck for all my tools and I have been looking at a cyber truck and the lower models are okay, but the highest one has a larger range and other things too. But with better performance comes a higher price. I've talked to my boss who owns a Tesla and said that it would be worth it. His electrical bill has only gone up 30 to $40 a month and he has a supercharger installed so that every morning he comes out and it is maxed out. I know some friends who drive trucks and they pay close to 200 to $300 just in gas for their trucks. So I'd be saving that money and it wouldn't have to worry about other gasoline engine problems. I was wondering if you think buying a Cybertruck would be worth it, considering in the long run it pays for itself, and I would have a large down payment since I am already saving for my next car. Also, where should I put my money that I'm saving, since it would be longer than a five-year frame? Would love to hear your feedback. Thanks, guys. Okay, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Some of them are economic, and I'm going to foreshadow some of my general ideas. Some of them are things that you need to be thinking about, Josiah, as you go down this path. The first thing I'm going to say is because you have five to six years before you're going to, quote, need this truck, my opinion is you do nothing. Okay, I I like your strategy and your buckets and putting money away, but I, I don't think you should do anything. Let me tell you why in my personal example. Uh, What's happening right now, as you know, as everyone is well aware of, we had a semiconductor shortage due to COVID and manufacturing shutting down. It has nothing to do with the Federal Reserve. It has nothing to do with interest rates. It has to do with COVID shutting down manufacturing. Thus, semiconductors were not being produced. Semiconductors go into every product known to man, especially automobiles. What does that mean? That means that automobiles, new automobiles, have not been being produced at the same amount or the same rate as they have in the past. Therefore, we have a lack of inventory in new automobiles. So supply has gone down. At the same time, our government fiscally decided to give people money. So they gave them thousands of dollars to go out and spend. And so many of these people went out and said, hey, I'm going to put this on a new or used car. Great. So now we have low supply, high demand. What that's created? A significant uptick 
in prices. Think about it from the standpoint of if you have your favorite sports team that goes on an incredible winning streak, and all of a sudden, the arena they play in got rid of half the seats. What do you think would happen to ticket prices for the other half? They would skyrocket. That's what's happening in the automobile industry. Now, I'm here to tell you, we've seen this before in history through various other uh, events, nothing this dramatic. What will transpire is an incredible uptick in inventory, a glut. And once you have oversupply, you ultimately have prices coming down. I personally am in the market to trade in our minivan, which now clocked 170,000 miles just the other day as I was carpooling. Yeah. The new Wagon Queen family truckster. This is a fine automobile, if you want my honest opinion. I'm looking to sell that and turn that into something else for our family, more than likely some kind of SUV. Well, I'm not going to pay the prices that SUVs are going for right now. I'm waiting. I'm waiting patiently. And my guess is is that in the near future, in the next year or so, I am going to have my pick. Timestamp. Remember this podcast. I'm here to tell you we will be talking about how cheap automobiles are in the next couple of years. So that's number one. You're going to have the opportunity to buy pickup trucks at a much lower rate than you do in the future. Next thing, if you're going to be an electrician, you mentioned having a boss, but you mentioned having a truck with your own tools. So my curiosity is, will you be a contractor? Will you be kind of running your own business within their business? Why do I say that? Because what you have to remember is, yes, even though you're going to be spending a lot of money in fuel or whatever it may be, more than likely that's a deduction. That's a deduction to you and your and your business. You're not going to buy a bunch of tools for your truck and not deduct that as an expense. So there's an element there that I think you're not putting into your equation as far as the deductibility of using your truck for your business, the mileage. You don't necessarily deduct the fuel price, you deduct the mile. And that ends up being pretty substantial. So that has to be taken into consideration. Number three, and we don't know, I don't know enough about this, but I read something just the other day about this, it was an op-ed, that my guess is your boss hasn't yet had to replace his Tesla battery. And what I am understanding is that when you replace a Tesla battery, which, oh, by the way, as I read, only lasts four or five years, that is a substantial price. That ticket is huge. That also has to be taken into consideration. And the article that I read, much like the piece we did long ago about buying versus renting and how people had an inflated idea of the price savings or the cost savings of owning a home versus renting, and we kind of debunked that through actual math, I think you have to factor in the actual replacement cost of a battery in a Tesla when you're looking at the actual all-in cost. I think qualitatively, finally, this is the last thing I'll say, is that if my te- my electrician rolled up in a Tesla pickup truck, I might I don't know if I I don't know if that'd be a good. Th- I'd be like, oh gosh, this is gonna hurt. Like he's gonna charge me a ton. <laughs> I mean, like I don't know. Or I'd be like, well, that's cool. This guy's killing it. I don't know which one I'd think, but uh, it could be good advertising. I think too. You could wrap it and be like, you know. Stick know. with electric. Yeah, I, but anyways, I just think uh, it, again in the next four to five years you are going to have ample uh, selection and and options to buy, no question about it. And I'm guessing even electric vehicles are cheaper. Um, But I think you got to understand more your tax ramifications of the truck, whatever truck it is that that you're using, 
as well as the replacement cost for batteries. I'll let you answer. He talked about putting money away. And yeah, was the timeline five years or ten years? Because I heard a five-year and a ten-year in there. And, yeah, it sounded like buying something oh, ten in ten years. years. Gosh, we'll be doing around personal hovercrafts by then. Yeah, I would say there's a lot that's going to change uh, in all of those spaces. So whether it's electric vehicles, uh, just the vehicle markets in general, all of that. So, But uh, let's just... So I guess generalize, if you had a 10-year saving goal, uh, that's pretty similar to something like uh, educational goals that we see within families and things like that. The The crux here is really whether or not it's a finite 10-year. And what I mean by that is you start today and you absolutely need to withdraw that money uh, on exactly 10 years from today. You're going to save, allocate, or invest that differently than if it's a, well, about 10-year goal, meaning that you might want it in 9, you might want it in 11. If the market goes down in year 8 or 9, you're willing to wait another uh, year or two for that. And so uh, there's kind of a couple options that you could go with. But you know, looking at sort of a, a well-balanced, well-diversified portfolio, something like a 60-40 or 70-30 is going to give you enough different assets. And when I say that, I mean you know stocks versus bonds. It's going to give you enough different assets that you're going to get some growth over that time to keep up with things like inflation and, and, and things of that nature. If you're dollar cost averaging it into it along the way, that's going to help you as well. But you're not going to experience all of the ups and downs uh, of just having stocks in a portfolio. However, as you get closer to your goal, you have to eventually dial back that risk. So you can't, unless you're really flexible with your goal in that, you know, you don't care if it's 10 years or 15 years, then maybe you're willing to wait through, you know, a downturn or something. But if your goal is pretty finite, you're going to have to dial that risk back along the way. That's what we would do with an educational savings account or something of that nature. As, you know, school becomes closer, we start to dial that back more to cash. Uh, however, we used to have a car fund in our family that we just uh, threw money into it. It was a 60-40 portfolio, and we just said, hey, whenever that hits the balance that is equates to the car that we want to get, we'll just buy it then. And so that might mean that the market goes down and we wait a year, year and a half, two years, three years for it to go back up. All the while we're saving. But whenever the balance equals the car, that's when we'll buy it. And that's that's the strategy we used. It may not be the strategy for everybody because you will see the value fluctuate pretty rapidly. I'm running into an interesting uh, dilemma right now as my 14-year-old is approaching, I mean, he's four years out maybe from, well, three years out from school, college, uh, which we may or may not be needing the monies that we put aside for college. As many of you know, we utilize custodial accounts over 529s. And as I continue to contribute and as I continue to invest on his behalf, he's still 100% stocks. Uh, you know, well, blend of indices and individual equities. And so I'm running into kind of a little bit of a dilemma. Do I do I start to diversify away from that, or do I just keep you know going, knowing that? Uh, if push came to shove, we could finance the school for a few years and sure. then pay it back and so forth. So we have some flexibility. Odds favor me not changing anything. Odds favor I think I'll just do that and and um, uh, make sure that you know he gets a scholarship, basically, is that's what I'm going to push for. There you go. There you go. No. Anyways, um, great question. Wow, that's, that's a great question. These are things I, I, I think we have to evaluate mathematically, emotionally, and then just make a wise decision, right? I mean, you, you, and then you pull the trigger and you go. And, and you might end up making a, a bad choice. You might look back and go, oh, my goodness, that, that didn't work out. Well, newsflash, <laughs> that's going to happen. You're not – I mean, I've never met anybody other than Daniel who's always made the best financial decisions ever. 
My boy's wicked smart. People make financial mistakes. I've made financial mistakes, and and you recover, and it's how quickly you bounce back and you you sort of say, okay, that didn't work. Let's pivot and move on. Real simple. Uh, that ultimately, in my opinion, creates long-term success as well. So you do your analysis, you make your decision, and you move on. And that was a great question, Josiah. Thank you. We'll send you a $25 Amazon gift card there for that question. So we need questions for the queue. Uh, we've been a little dry, uh, so send us an audio question to podcast at DIYmoney.org. That's podcast at DIYmoney.org. If we answer it on the show, we'll send you a $25 Amazon gift card. Remember, friends, Secret to Wealth is pretty darn simple. Live on less than you make. Invest the rest. Do so for a very long time. Make it a great one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. If you want content delivered to you regularly, be sure to follow us on Instagram at DIY.money. And if you want your question aired on the show, be sure to send that to us and you'll get a $25 Amazon gift card. This show is for entertainment and educational purposes only and is not intended as personal financial advice. Before making any financial decision, please do your homework and consult a financial advisor as needed.